Hello and welcome to Poetry But Make It Relevant with your host Isabel Hodgson. Today we will be introducing young poet Rosa Pinini. Oh, I'm a poet now. <laughs> yeah, you can be, yeah, I, I call I everyone think, a poet. Young I don't think I'm a, a poet. I want to contest young as well. Oh, I don't contest young. Oh, mature, darling. Yeah, I know, darling. We've seen the world. She's tasted the wine of age. Um, but yeah, so fifty a glass. <laughs> oh, don't talk to me about gentrification. I don't want to talk about it. Um, it actually it will depress me. Um, and that's what we don't want on this show. Today we're going to keep it light and airy, as I'm sure we'll see in Rose's poetry. Um, I am indeed, uh, as they like to refer, taking the <laughs> Um So today uh, we're going to be just interviewing you a little bit, just a little bit. Oh, we love to be grilled. <laughs> Validate my own fears of exceptionalism. <laughs> oh, that, I mean, what what a beautiful little phrase you nipped in there. Oh, thank you. Um, She's going to be really smart the, the whole time and very witty, I've been told. Oh, my God. Way to have filled me up to, like, drop everyone down. <laughs> like, yeah, obviously. Not pressure at all. <laughs> um, okay, well, speaking of not pressure at all, uh, what's your favourite poem that you've brought to me today? My favourite of the three? Of the three, um, yeah. Well, I don't know if I have an actual favourite of the three. They're just... Mm three poems by poets that I've been interested in at the moment um maybe we could start with I mean everybody knows who knows me that I have a massive Leonard Cohen fetish (laughs) um so of course one of them is a poem by Leonard Cohen um beautiful and it is super depressing yeah I mean this I feel like this is going to be a running theme with the poems that (laughs) I've chosen I don't tend to go for the lighter stuff um but no I just thought this was exceptionally beautiful um I read it for the first time um in lockdown it's from his first book of poetry let us compare mythologies um yeah I just think it's incredibly I don't know it hit different bro (laughs) well um why don't you give us a yeah, tape? Like, you uh, read it out. Ooh, yeah. I expect to have to perform in, in multiple senses. Anyway, yeah. I'll... <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's called Twilight. And it goes, Those days were just the twilight, and soon the poems and the songs were only associations edged with bitterness, focused into pain by painting in a minor key, remembered on warm nights when he made love to strangers, And he would struggle through old words, unable to forget he once created new ones and fumble at their breasts with broken hands. When finally he did become very old and nights were cold because no one was a stranger and there was little to do but sift the years through his yellow fingers. Then, like fire-twisted shadows of dancers, alternatives would array themselves around his wicker chair and he regretted everything. Brilliant. So yeah, a light one. <laughs> yeah, easy with. breezy, something something nice exactly, for the yeah, evening for the summer. Make us all feel better about the state of the world and our deep attachment issues <laughs> that can't be solved with years of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well then, good question to now leap into. Why did this poem resonate with you so much? <laughs> um, 
god i'm trying to find that i have to remember this is a public thing as well and i'm not just like yeah let's having a, like, a conversation with you in private um i think i don't know i felt even though it's an incredibly gendered poem in the sense that you can clearly tell the um subject of the poem is masculine and the voice feels very masculine mm. and sort of going over um disconnected uh unemotional sort of sex that to some extent mm. emotionally validates you but then when you reflect on it um you're you're lonely basically and um yeah un- unfulfilled quite profoundly um yeah so I suppose that kind of resonated with me uh which is a bit depressing um but yeah and that's sort of I don't know it's just he always Leonard I call him Leonard because I think I know him which is quite <laughs> fucked up uh, but Leonard um he just always has the most beautiful imagery and it, it almost doesn't matter what the poem is about just like the images the images of um you know fumbling at their breasts with broken hands and shifting years through his yellow fingers it's just so incredibly beautiful um and also really resonated that feeling of when you're having um just casual kind of emotionless sex and you just feel like your two bodies just like bouncing against each other basically like there's no kind of connection there really and to include that idea of brokenness in a physical capacity you know say the hands are broken when you're touching each other just felt so such an accurate depiction of what it's like to be sort of internally broken by those experiences and then physically I don't know yeah just like a physical expression of that yeah there's definitely um a really strong sense of physicality mm-hmm. but, but representing something that is usually not physical kind of it the the thing about I I really like about this is that what the problem isn't necessarily what is physical but it's kind of presented in that way mm-hmm. where you know the problem is kind of or not necessarily problems such so I just I don't know don't know how else to summarize it but the kind of the feeling of general discord isn't physical necessarily like the disconnection isn't a physical disconnection but it's kind of presented in that way and yeah. I think that that's and I, I think that that just really sums up a kind of feeling of emotionless sex and connection really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also to like read that poem in lockdown where the irony is that mm-hmm. like bodies are not being touched, like unless, you know, you're yes. in a relationship and you're living with somebody where probably you're having way too much sex, um, yeah. like for the majority of people, like you go from having a, a semi-normal sex life. Oh, now I'm bragging. <laughs> but like to having, you know, nothing. And um, and as you know, I became a massive hypochondriac um, in that period and started yeah. to view my body um, as basically this whirring bag of like medical parts. There was nothing particularly yeah. sexual about it. Like So that I think when I was reading that poem, it really resonated because the idea of brokenness um, felt so close to me because obviously I'd convinced mm. myself I was going blind. <laughs> yeah. 
it's interesting that you kind of bring up medical like reduction to a kind of medical biology um because it's something that i've been learning a lot more about of essentially that um with kind of governance and power Mm. true power moved from you know governing land to governing bodies and that's why Mm. kind of the reduction of of people in general to biological creatures um and ignoring social values is really interesting Mm -hmm. i've been researching it more in the context of sort of um humanitarian aid and how um a lot of the time when people are trying to respond to kind of medical disasters Mm. they will reduce people to purely their biological needs so the really good example which i hadn't kind of once you start critically uh kind of looking at you're like jesus that's awful like the bracelet of life which is what they put on children's arms to measure if they're skinny enough to get like food Mm -hmm. like and you kind of like when you're presented as like oh this is a way that we measure things you you don't necessarily critically think about it because the thing with humanitarianism is we're like oh yeah that's definitely good that's you know helping people Mm -hmm. and then they're you know completely ignoring the social harm and I think that the idea that you know that we're kind of pushed into our biological bodies has also been so massive during the pandemic yeah of Um, course because the pandemic is the pandemic but you know bodies falling apart um so yeah and then yeah and then as I say the role of the body in society has just completely like shifted um but I suppose it was quite like personally troubling that it made me have, have to confront like to what extent my idea of my body like as a sexual thing is completely from the validation like the external validation of others and that when those social contexts were like removed I just felt like I was going blind <laughs> or like yeah. had multiple sclerosis or whatever like disease of the week it was <laughs> she's the disease yeah of and the I think song <laughs> <laughs> title um but generally um I think that it's really interesting that you kind of brought the pandemic into it as well because it's something that I really like try and choose to ignore a lot of the time and then you get how much it kind of creeps into your subconscious because obviously you're I mean I, I, I know Rosa personally and she's um she's healthy, like she's fine, but it's beyond logic. <laughs> you are. I know, it's just <laughs> you know. weird to hear myself spoken about in third person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my health. <laughs> but um this is and, and and that's the thing is that like I think during the pandemic everything had to be completely logical and because that it was like it was it's a survival mode mm-hmm. to look after people is to make sure that everything we do is logical um and then forgetting that actually reality is humans are very illogical most of the mm-hmm. time um, and or maybe that's just who I spend my time <laughs> with. But, um, like naturally we're gonna just absolutely go mental when we're told to like not like not have anything beyond like logical responses mm-hmm. to stimulus yeah um which is something that I've been thinking about a lot yeah I've Um, I've been doing quite a bit on that as well because um we've been doing Paradise Lost and there's like a big tension in Paradise Lost between um internal reason 
and how internal reason or Milton believes that internal reason is the way that we should guide every interaction that we have um, but that it can yeah. be clouded by desire and that desire and sin are like basically one and the same um and then yeah. but then even within that text there's so many examples where it shows that you can't really make a distinction between internal reason and desire like yeah I don't know, like even you know when Satan charms Eve with his powerful oratory um you know it infiltrates her body quite physically and like becomes desire yeah. um and so the idea that she made a rational choice or she made a a choice that was completely free to taste the fruit um, is kind of ridiculous because he shows that physically she was influenced by an external force. Anyway, sorry, that's a bit of a tangent. Yeah. But... Oh, and I mean, going going off on that tangent, it's really interesting as well. And I don't know, to me, whenever I hear like anything about Genesis, like, I kind of am thinking like, but in, a, in Eden, of course, you would be trusting and like accept things as fact because everything around you like theoretically is meant to be super perfect and mm-hmm. I don't know like if I was Eve I, I like and someone was like no it's fine like it's chill just go for it I'm like yeah it probably is fine you know because it always I don't know yes. that's that's more of a kind of personal and not necessarily very uh no, but you do point. Point. <laughs> in that, like in the book like she says at one point um when she is reasoning as to why she should taste the fruit. She says something, I'm paraphrasing, along the lines of, basically, if I take the fruit, um, maybe it will make me more equal to Adam for inferior who is free. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. oof, I'll say it once, I'll say it again. It hit different. <laughs> like, um, sorry, I mean, it's just impossible not to, especially like a modern reader, how can you not empathise with somebody saying for who inferior is free yeah yeah I mean that's I it's it's crazy as well because sometimes I I worry about um I think modern texts um uh and I say I say this with like just a general like a a massive net of uh, a lot of the time they're kind of really reacting to kind of cultural events at the moment Mm -hmm. um and sometimes I worry that that will kind of get lost in time mm. because, you know, will it be universal enough? Because something like that, obviously, like, even now, you can see how, like, relevant that can be. Yeah, but but then I... do a text that's very much a product of its historical context. Yeah, exactly. So I just think maybe the more enduring text, like, you can't escape your current social, political, like, whatever yeah. context, however much you try. And yeah. I guess the texts that are enduring are ones that don't escape their social context, but have something so universal about them that it doesn't matter. Yeah, this and this is something that we talked about um, in previous episodes, is that actually sometimes attempting to be universal is exactly like what kills the mood. Yeah, oh no, no um, I definitely agree and that. just responding honestly and kind of just with a humanity to something that might be very specific to one experience or a few experiences is sometimes just the right way to go. Like you can't necessarily address everyone all the time. It's not going to yeah. work. So the best way and the most 
real way to respond is just by doing so honestly mm-hmm. um just hope- which i find i find and yeah I think, like, the idea of honest writing very interesting yeah and the idea of i don't know like re- trying to create something with the intention that it's great or that it's original or that it, yeah as you say will mm-hmm. have this enduring relevance i think it's just the way to make something pretentious and boring and shit <laughs> just like yeah everyone I know who like tries to write in this like great way just ends up failing mm-hmm. um yeah absolutely but then again I suppose like how many writers do we know were massive assholes and thought they were amazing and great when they were writing and were like yeah. quite a lot of them were as well so I suppose maybe like it's possible to like do both but maybe it's just a very yeah like I don't know women socialized view that we need to be modest in order to be good maybe yeah I don't know if I agree no with that I actually, I'm just riffing. no I see what you I'm, I'm just I'm fine just no um but that that does make sense to me um I don't know whenever someone says like well this is how women are socialized I'm like yeah mm-hmm. wow what a point um mm-hmm. But, but then also the sort of person that is like, oh, I'm so amazing. Oh, everybody read my work. Even if their work is good, you still want to punch that person. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, like just circling back to Leonard here. Like he thought he was <laughs> yeah, And he was. And I love him. Yeah. But if I had to exist and around him, um, which I say yeah. that as if that's a hypothetical that could ever happen, of course, won't however much I wish it would um like I'm sure he was a he was a massive like you watch the film and um yeah like about him and his girlfriend Marianne and he just treated her absolutely dreadfully um and everyone who basically became close to him was really messed up by it yeah Um, yeah so and he was a genius anyway yeah going on a tangent yeah well speaking of uh leonard cohen again Mm. you've kind of mentioned that he's quite a big uh influence to you or you know you you really enjoy his work who else would you say has been influential to you or your writing um i think basically who i'm about to say is going to betray me as being what i am which is a really bad feminist (laughs) like this list of white (laughs) men i'm about to give um, yeah. So, um, I mean, Leonard Cohen's a big one. Um, I'd say as well, like the the lyrics of Bob Dylan. Um, I really love. Um, as well, Milan Kundera, uh, like Unbearable Lightness mm. of Being, and also Immortality. I've really, really loved. He's another one that's um, been kind of me tooed, and everyone doesn't like because he's sexist now, which. I mean, he is, <laughs> but like yeah. he writes exquisitely and um, about philosophy and kind of involves a lot of existential philosophy in his writing, um, which is something I really, yeah. really vibe with. It's interesting because um, those points of reference have been brought up a few times uh, on the podcast. We've um, we've talked a lot about Bob Dylan, oh, really? um, one of the earlier episodes with Jacob V. Crosby, if you'd like Ooh. to go and listen if you want to hear more about Bob Dylan to the listeners. Um, we, we talked a lot about um, how I think more and more young people, young people, I love to generalise, 
um, are kind of seeking seeking the comfort seeking the comfort seeking comfort of a kind of poetic comfort I don't even know how to phrase it this is why I'm kind of struggling here but um in music I think like that people more and more okay. yeah are turning to kind of and, and you know obviously we weren't we weren't we weren't their contemporaries we weren't mm-hmm. listening when it was you know all coming out yeah. um and I think that it's interesting that especially now like people I, I well anyway music snobs in general um always um bring it back to kind of not always a lot of the time they bring it back to lyrics and mm-hmm. kind of how poetic they are unless I it's a purely lit students like of all yeah. the people to bring it back to lyrics it probably would be us <laughs> like too bad yeah. there um, except I don't yeah, I mean, talk about music ever because I'm the worst. Like, I mean, you know my music taste. Like, it is, it like thank God I'm a woman. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> if I was a man, would, I would be the worst be, man yeah. ever. <laughs> it's all just um, like Morrissey, people, people like Leonard Cohen, yeah. Bob Dylan. Like, yeah, it's it's not great. <laughs> Serge Gainsbourg as well. Questionable at best. <laughs> um, no, I mean. Yeah, I but but that this is a thing is that um, those those people are getting brought up uh, mm-hmm. a fair amount uh, by the kind of poets I socialise with. Yeah, um, same. <laughs> which is interesting to me. It's interesting. I I think I can try and rationalise like, oh, it might be for this reason. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I think they just resonate. They are just really them. talented, and nobody really. Yeah. yeah. What well, doesn't feel like in contemporary music that there's any kind of equivalent who can match their lyrical like and musical capabilities um and I mean and that's the that's the snobby answer but then I think maybe there's other things you know nostalgia like for the aesthetics of sort of revolutionary Mm. um like possibilities and you know they were changing everything and it was like this generation of promise I mean arguably false promise um yeah but like our generation just feels so kind of nihilistic and accepting of like the awful political reality that we live in um and to some extent we can maybe feel like we can release that through nostalgia for when times were more hopeful and felt like things were going in the right direction yeah absolutely I mean I suppose it depends on um, musical taste because I've openly said on this podcast that I think that Bob Dylan is great, but I don't enjoy his music. Um, I, I do. Oh, I appreciate his lyrics, and, but then I've also um, had discussions that you know people will be like, "Yeah, I can acknowledge that No Name is like you know probably one of the best lyricists in kind of the popular view at the moment," yeah. but. You know, her music isn't everyone's taste. Mm-hmm. It's either very abstract and weird or kind of very rooted in hip-hop mm-hmm. and, like, funk and in a way that people, like, don't necessarily find very inspiring, which I think is, you know, rooted in classist yeah. and racist-like mm-hmm. taste. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I yeah, I just, I don't love, I don't love... Um, Bob Dylan's music, and sometimes it does just come down to you. Literally, like, nails on the chalkboard for me right now. <laughs> just not allowed. <laughs> it just. I know. I know. He's some people's ride or die, and I just like it's. I think he's great. I think he's great. Good for him. But I just, it's not. 
you know he's, he's not my alive, team. He I... could hear this, and he could be offended. <laughs> if he, I mean, I'm I'd be surprised if he heard this. Um, I I, I would say you're off the beaten track for what I would. <laughs> yeah, no, he probably could use that as a lyric. Um, but <laughs> but there's just like if Bob, if you're there. <laughs> If you're listening, if you're send listening, me a DM, Rosa underscore opinionazy, um, and we'll prove we'll prove this bitch wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You will. Um, I didn't know he was still alive. Why did I assume he was dead? He just seems like I he just would did. Be. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna lie. You're just like mm, he's just one of those people that would have died. Yeah, yeah, you just kind of think you know all the others have gone. Like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> Wait, how much is he? How much is he producing still? He is he doing anything? Like this year. Good for him. Good for Bob. Yeah. Wow. See, I'm. I, this is the thing. I'm like, yeah. I mean, let's talk about mainstream media and like what's going on. And then I'm like, I actually am so out of the loop sometimes. I just don't know. I mean, yeah, same. Honestly, same. <laughs> um, I feel. I mean, I do a lot of the like nodding of like, yes, yes, I know exactly what you mean. Like I was. Mm. <laughs> I had a tutorial yesterday over Zoom. And my tutor said, oh, you know, bet you've been up all night and watching the election thing, like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, oh, my God, I'm obsessed. I can't stop looking at it. It's amazing. And he goes, oh, okay, great, because, like, I've been doing tutorials all morning. So, like, what what's happened with Georgia? What's happened with Georgia? And I was like, um, yeah, when I say I'm obsessed, um, I don't, like, mean it. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, anyway, he was laughing at me. Um, that was very embarrassing to be immediately like called up on fucking sorry I saw being a liar. Um, but I mean, at this, I mean, I actually have been obsessed, but not in a kind of like my dad will call me and be like, "Are you watching CNN? Are you watching John King?" Yeah. And I'm like, "No," but I am going on the Guardian live update. Yeah, I mean, because um, they know, don't when, I, when I say I'm not obsessed, I don't mean that I'm non-invested. You know, I'll check it a healthy. Mm six times a day like, yeah sort of i think that's a good amount the page where they count votes from nevada like i'm not on that level of obsessed i will i to be fair i will be like at this moment in time they are twenty four thousand votes ahead which i believe is how far he is ahead in nevada i think it's pretty certain he's gonna win nevada anyway this yes. will be a week in the future this <laughs> yeah, exactly this is gonna be people um hear this the result will be in yeah it's gonna yeah you you guys are gonna look back and be like those chumps i mean maybe it won't be maybe it'll be we obviously we don't know like dictatorship where we love fascism (laughs) that's gonna be yeah i mean (laughs) i can't can't wait um i've got my what's it everyone to be fair loads of people are packing emergency backpacks you know those ones where they're like food oh, right, and yeah. water and their passport and like a flare um, or something actually who's the, who's yeah the flare, yeah <laughs> honestly i mean i at this point in time also everyone is kind of done with the u.s so i don't know how many like i mean if they're what's it they're definitely not going to be pro uh, none of the rest of the world is like oh well you definitely let us in i mean that's line, so really, like, isn't yeah. it if they're all like yeah. come on canada let us in we're desperate political refugees fleeing from tyrannical government. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah it's, it's not it's not a great look, is it? Like blatant hypocrisy. Yeah, there's also been a lot of roasting of um, people on TikTok who have been like, 
I'm really sorry, I don't know what's going on with the world, but I just need to think about me at the moment, and I'm so tired, and I'm really burnt out from activism, and everyone was just like, wow, <laughs> okay, like, no one really asked need, you like, to, like, statement. <laughs> yeah, they, everyone was just kind of like, you just didn't really need to say that you really don't care about the rest <laughs> of the world, but cool, glad, good to I know, mean, good to know. It's at this point. <laughs> I was oh, that was that was one really I mean oh, it was a it was a it was a bit of a a sharp comment when someone was like you all really said Black Lives Matter but only when they're American mm. um, and I was like oh mm. maybe um, but anyway moving on from dark topics to more dark topics so next uh, poem time <laughs> next poem oh um, right so do you want the sad or the sad um let's go, let's with, go with sad with i think sad, yeah um so this is a poem that i find very difficult to pronounce the um name of um because it's a long word <laughs> i'm like such an idiot um it's a persona poem um called autopsychography oh that actually was not hard at all um, yeah well done. Oh, no, thank you i quite proud of myself i was really like smarting myself up to read that word anyway yeah. um so this is auto psychography um we love to see it the poet is a man who feigns and feigns so thoroughly at last he manages to feign as pain the pain he really feels and those who read what once he wrote feel clearly in the pain they read neither of the pains he felt only a pain they cannot sense. And thus, around its jolting track, there runs, to keep our reason busy, the circling clockwork train of ours that men agree to call a heart. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> with meaning. <laughs> oh, blimey. Let's get into it yeah. then. Um, okay, one of my favourite questions to ask, because I think it's fairly revealing, is uh, what line in that poem, if you have to pick a line, just stands out to you? It doesn't even have to be the best, yeah. but the one that just kind of goes around in your head a lot. I think the first um, mm. the first stanza, you know, the poet is a man who feigns and feigns so thoroughly at last. He manages to feign as pain, the pain he really feels. Um, yeah, I mean, the first time I read that stanza... Um, I like had to stop reading the poem and just absorb it. Um, and yeah. how much of a burn he's delivering to like everyone, <laughs> everyone yeah. I know who tries to write poetry or any sort of creative writing. Um, and I really um felt quite called out by it. Um, I think. <laughs> uh, a good way to yeah, I know. I mean. It really felt like he was pointing at me and going, you, you're fake. <laughs> um, I mean, because I do think that there's this um, really sort of, I'm trying to find the word, um, crossover, I guess, although that's not a good word, um, for, you know, you write poetry in order to kind of reflect your emotional state, like ostensibly that's what you're doing. Um, and yeah. then you end up or certainly I feel like sometimes it can end up sort of inversing and that I then start to act in a parody of those emotions rather than uh just feeling them 
um, he said in another poem, um, I can't remember the whole stanza, but one line is just love unsentimentally, um, which struck me so much, like the, the sort of his differentiation between love and romance. That's what I got from that. Yeah. And that, you know, to love sentimentally is to had, add all of the adornments of kind of romance and sentiments. And actually in that poem, he was just saying, just do it, just love. Um, and yeah. like, and to write poetry about feelings and about your life and blah, blah, blah. And like all of these kind of, well for me anyway, like narcissistic topics, it just feels like I'm adding all of these adornments to truly just like feeling. Um, but then also mm. you're caught in the trap because if you want to write poetry, like what else are you supposed to do? Yeah, also a poem about poetry is never pretentious <laughs> at all. <laughs> a poem that I can't pronounce the name of is <laughs> not pretentious in the slightest, yeah. yeah. Um, um, <laughs> it's a Gordon. Um, well, okay then. So what's what's kind of the backstory of this poet? Because I don't know anything about... Um, who you've chosen uh fernando pessoa um mm -hmm. so he is oh is he spanish or mexican i think he's spanish um he's one of my dad's favorite poets um he oh he's portuguese of course um <laughs> um and he had i mean he's most famous for even though there's a lot of i don't know the critical sort of modern backlash about this um, because I think he had split personality disorder, um, but nobody mm. really knows whether it was actually a, a disorder or whether it was a sort of conscious attempt to like differentiate styles of writing. Um, but he had yeah. five main personalities that he was sort of right under. So one of them was like the shepherd, I think, and that's where mm. love unsentimentally comes from one of those poems where the writing style is very, very plain, very kind of down to earth, lots of naturalistic elements um mm. and then another one is the mechanic where he plays a lot more with language it's a lot more intricate but still quite um like almost, yeah scientific and precise in his meanings um mm. and i mean i've probably given the worst biography of this guy ever um because to be honest i don't know that much about his biography uh, I've just, mm, of the mm. poetry I've read, I just have loved it. Um, but yeah, um, actually, now that I think about it, every single poem I've picked has a relation to my father. And now that he's like a therapy session. Uh, but that's what it's all about. <laughs> poetry, this is the thing, it's relevant because it's all about you. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is this is what, like, I don't know, this is what reading poetry is meant to be about, is meant to kind of uh, find parts of your life that you need to think about more and makes you think more about them, I think, anyway. Yeah. Uh, that's a very reductive way of looking at it, but it God, would but go well on a T-shirt. Then it's like, do I want to think about my life any more than I do? <laughs> I think about my life quite a bit. I pay £90 an hour to think about my life. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and this is free quite, yeah exactly this is free and public <laughs> great yeah. the best kind of humiliation <laughs> I think is public um, but 
yeah so I don't know why I'm exposing myself like this but anyway (laughs) well we love it so um next question something that I love to ask um my interviewees is what you like to read about um and and why and, and what got you like into reading and writing generally um I think I've always just liked reading and writing yeah um and I'd always like sort of make up little stories um when I was a kid to sort of entertain myself like before we had phones so that we didn't have to think um (laughs) and then I got a phone and I stopped doing that um but um so yeah I always wanted to write um and sorry what was the first part of the question again first part of the question was what you like reading about about. uh again it's kind of narcissistic like I like when I was younger I only read YA fiction it was exclusively with female heroines um not out of political choice just because I just did not care um at all I never read Harry Potter well Um, I've said this as well on the podcast I was like I like books that like don't have like women kind of centrally mm-hmm. in them and this isn't like this isn't a proud moral statement no, I just, I, just I can't it. connect with it mm-hmm. I'm like I'm good thanks but anyway carry on but yeah so obviously you know because I've been battered by you for many years about the fact I've never read Harry Potter <laughs> um, and it was just generally because I just had no no interest in the slightest um in a boy with glasses and little elves <laughs> I didn't care there are like very few elves in it. There's uh, okay, well, I must say the elves like, were not the decisive. <laughs> they were not the decisive reason why not. It was just the I don't know. It just felt like a masculine story for some reason. I was just like I don't care. Um, and now it's too late. Um, it's probably actually good that you didn't read it. Um, because you can be like, yeah, well, I yeah, well, she, I knew she was a transfer well. from day one. <laughs> Yeah, you were like, I could, I could tell. tell. I, could I was tell. just a very like politically aware child, um, and I just felt that yeah. the story was too much about a straight white guy <laughs> for me to be yeah. interested. Yeah, it's a big wow for me <laughs> that you're that moral. I, I mean, incredible. I she actually, she's living very close to where I live now, and uh, I know. there's you always light discussion. I thought you should go egg her house. <laughs> yeah everyone kind of like should we should we do something i don't know like celebrate vandalism we just like um, mess around and <laughs> do some vandalism i love like to mess around yeah friends <laughs> yeah it's this is a family show and we have family values um <laughs> yeah, like, oh, like kicking, only egging kicking. transphobes <laughs> yeah yeah i you know what i was egged fairly although i wasn't actually egged. egged but like Oh, someone tried on Halloween. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Wait, years ago. They, what's like it? This year. No, this year. Oh. What? Through these, yeah, through eggs, through eggs. What the? I mean, they didn't hit me. At you. That's good. Why? Yeah. I mean, you're quite. Well, exactly. I'm. Just... <laughs> I know my face. face just... like... <laughs> to be fair, just think to be like, fair, if I was going to do a random act of. Uh, violence on the street <laughs> which is framed as a, as a cultural me. joke <laughs> I'd do it at you <laughs> yeah I think and honestly I wouldn't disagree with that choice I think out of everyone it probably should be me um, <laughs> but moving on moving on very swiftly yeah. um, from hanging um, 
what do you think is relevant about what you've chosen today and, and your perspective? Because this is all about, this is poetry, but make it relevant, mm. not poetry, but make it archaic. Um, and I like asking people what you think is relevant about this poetry or, you know, what you're kind of thinking about or reading or writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I mean, it's certainly relevant in my thought process um, and my, I don't know, internal dialogue about my own writing um, and my own relationship with my body and with all of those fun sort of early 20s emotions. Um, Yeah. And, you know, neither of these poems, to my shame, actually, now that I consider it like political in any real sense. um, And and, yeah, all very, very internal and um, interrogating of the self. Um, so I guess and I don't know I think there's something enduring about like you know Poseur is still incredibly popular same with Leonard Cohen I think um, and then Samuel Menashe who's the last poem um, I mean actually he's not particularly popular but um, that what connects all three of them is just that the sort of I guess melancholy of like internal um angst and yeah that even though we can sort of deconstruct that as something that's quite narcissistic probably self-indulgent also probably misogynistic as well um something that's a very bourgeois kind of um exceptionalism to it i mean like politically you can just poke so many holes in it about it's the sort of morality of that kind of work um but we still like them like we still love that sort of work like people still love Lana Del Rey <laughs> yeah um, I still quite like Lana Del Rey um and just those sort of yeah I guess emotions I think there's something more enduring and more impactful that can be reduced into saying that it's just you know white guys sort of musing about their like over their egotism I don't know yeah like I, I think there is something more to it and more enduring and more beautiful that everyone can relate to like regardless of background yeah I think it's, it's interesting to ask different people what is relevant to them especially because for I know for for some of my speakers they're saying well the person I've chosen I don't necessarily have like much connection to what their life has been like mm-hmm. um I won't understand like having had a massive range of poetry talked about um and kind of things that I don't know none of us as kind of English uni students will be able really to relate to mm-hmm. but when you kind of but when, and then but then when you take it in a kind of context of well what about these people that we like kind of can't relate to on the other end of the spectrum so for example I would never be able to relate to a you know a refugee who's had probably like unspeakable Mm -hmm. you know things happen to them but then on the other end will I be able to relate to a kind of very famous man who's done incredibly well and hasn't necessarily had a hard life apart from what is their own internal suffering Mm -hmm. um and I think that I mean at the end of it all it's always just suffering isn't it like 
people really love to relate to suffering. But also I think there's something so depressing about the idea that we have to have writers or that the writers that we should be appreciating are people who have quite unquote like relatable experiences in the sense yeah like I mean I'm completely like pro the sort of widening of the franchise in who gets to have their voice expressed like oh, of course um but I also just think yeah that like I mean everyone has an individual experience like you can't um I don't know you can't minimize like the experience of entire groups of people and say that this is you know the white experience the black experience I don't um I think everyone and everything is far more complicated than that and I think part of the role of fiction or what fiction can do like as opposed to like any other medium is give you an interior sense of those of that individuality and complexity mm. of different viewpoints and experiences and I think to an extent I think the point is that we shouldn't have to relate like in order to connect with them yes like, yeah absolutely. I think there's something so kind of egotistical and like just so reflective of our 21st century like individualism that we think you know this is only relevant if I can recognize myself in it yeah so. Um, I was just going to ask you, actually, I mean, individualism, I mean, at least, I don't know who who I'm talking to is a bit of a hot topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to get your thoughts of kind of, there's obviously a, a kind of sense of, there's, there's a political individualism, but then there's also kind of a personal individualism mm-hmm. and what that means. And some people think it's kind of, the only route forward is to acknowledge how complicated every single person is, but then at the same time, how do you create communities and societies if there's so much focus on what is individual? Mm-hmm. And I just wondered if I could get your thoughts on that. Oh my god, that's a big, it's <laughs> a big statement. question. I know. I think so much of my like political sort of angst, and I think in general of like people on the left is how do you like balance that tension between a sort of postmodern view of everybody as being quite selfish nihilistic and has a complex of their own exceptionality versus Mm. belief in something that's pretty idealistic and that requires uh, political cooperation between people in order to achieve certain goals and like how you balance those two things I think is something that's so hard and I don't really have an answer to it. Um, I certainly believe in personal responsibility in a sort of um, existentialist. Um, God, I sound so fucking pretentious. <laughs> but um, sense of that we do have certain choices in our lives and we do have an effect on people like we're not simply the re- passive recipients of things happening to us in the world um and so that doesn't mean that we should just like sit back and relax and let things happen i think we need to like do things um and use our agency as individuals um but then i also think that we're not 
exceptional either. Like, you know, nobody, I don't know, the grand revelation you have um, about the world, like 100% everybody's had it or that feeling. I mean, TikTok has completely like ruined all, like any doubt I had that like I was exceptional in any in any way. It would be the most specific scenarios from my childhood that I thought was so, um, you know, my personal experience. And then I'll see them like recreated on TikTok and have like 100,000 likes. <laughs> and I'm like, and I go through the comments and people going like, wow, I thought I was so special when I did X. Or like, and so I was actually like, wow, okay. Like we're really not exceptional, but we do think we're the center of our own worlds. Um, so I don't know. I think, I don't know to what extent we can get away from thinking that we're the center of the world. Um, and maybe there's some way that you could work with that in order to direct that to have more action, more like cooperation and more, um, I don't know. I'm chatting rubbish. (laughs) Um, but, um, okay. Well, continuing on from that beautiful, um, point there about, uh, the irony of narcissism yeah. uh, could you now read the last poem that you've chosen that you think you connect to yes I like that you think you connect to it do you really <laughs> you, you might think you do but actually yeah. um, this is by the poet Samuel Menash um, who I only recently just uh, sort of discovered um, because one of my lecturers said in the lecture that he was his favourite poet um, and read us a few of his poems and he did this thing where he swapped out because Samuel Menashe writes incredibly concise tiny usually no more than four line poems um, with very very simple language um, and he did this thing where he just swapped out words um, even words that had the same syllable count as the words that they'd replaced to just prove that every single word is so essential but even the tiny difference um could just completely like ruin these poems um so sorry i have like four of them and um so i'll just read one of the the smallest ones um perfect it's incredibly tiny um pity us beside the sea on the sands so briefly that's it Love um, I love modernist poetry. Like yeah, that. and know. he was like, apparently, this is what the lecturer was saying um, because he had a like friendship with Menash when he was alive, um, and he was basically this really like exuberant, chatty guy like in New York, and um, just mm. like would not stop talking and was like so kind of like just full of energy and like would sort of read his poetry aloud without invitation (laughs) and like the you know if you rang him for a quick catch-up you'd be on the phone for like five hours um yeah and so I just think that that's it's such a lovely like contrast to the poems which are so incredibly intense and tiny and simple I also want to point out to the listeners just because I I like to stay updated on what I'm listening to um (laughs) I looked up his Wikipedia and the all it says, if, if you look it up, is Samuel Menashe was an American poet, um, which I think is really funny. Yeah. And I just want to know that that was 
the official Wikipedia is. I mean, I clearly someone goes into the biography, but apart from that, like apart from the biography and references, there's really nothing else. <laughs> also, it's can I just Samuel point out that he's hot? Wow, is he? Well, I haven't look looked at, at photos look yet. At a picture of him young, even old. To be honest, he's very handsome. I mean, yeah, he's got he's got. You know what he does? He does have a very classic like. I, I don't know if this is wrong, but like a forties like American poet he's face. Beautiful, like he's a beautiful guy, and like the poem I just read as well. Um, he didn't even write that. Um, like on paper, he wrote that on the seafront in the sand, and somebody took a photo of it, yeah. and that's the only way that it was recorded. What a cool he's guy! Really, really cool. <laughs> I really like him. Um, and. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I've sort of run out after that massive rant I did about <laughs> exceptionalism and individuality. I've run out of interesting things to say. So there. Well, it's a good thing too because we're almost out for time. <laughs> and I've got cheesy <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm really good at cheesy transitions, yeah, and that's and that's the power of being a radio host. I know. It's um, Oh, yeah, what can I say? I mean, I have no relations that have ever been a radio host, so it's more in me, you know? It's all it's all me, baby. Don't give anyone else credit. Um, <laughs> but my last question, which I like to ask all of my interviewees, mm. is if aliens descended onto the Earth and they were, like, wiping everything from humanity, all of our cultural history... And your friend at NASA gave you the last ticket on the ship and said, we're escaping and you have to bring one poem with you. What poem are you bringing? Um, I'd actually just kill myself. <laughs> right. Good answer. But please read the poem. Um, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't want to go. Like, that sounds terrible. You have to. Have... You have you to. You don't have to. Okay, well, okay, can you send like, I'm being kidnapped and I get to take one. Yeah, I don't know. That's a very quick question. Um, can I take... Um, <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm literally about to be, like, gagged and bounded and, like, put on yeah, the range of I feel that sense of pressure. Um there, yeah. I don't know. I don't really have like a, a favorite poem. Um, it's a bit of a cop out. Oh, actually, I love. Um... Oh no, wait. <laughs> trying to think. There's, oh, there's a poem that I really love called um, "For Grace After a Party" by Frank O'Hara, which is one of my favorite poems. Um, or another poem by him, "The Animals." which are just two really beautiful, simple love poems that are just really dank. Well, then that, that's all you needed to say. That's the perfect answer. Yeah, I know. Answer. I couldn't can, can think of them off the top of my head. They had to come to me. <laughs> to be fair, though, I do think that that's an answer that people need to acknowledge. Because, like, people are always like, oh, what would you do in an apocalypse? And I'd be like, obviously I'm going to kill myself. Like, what else is there to do? Like, do I want to... I don't want to survive like that. Earth? No. No. 
I, I'm barely here, it's baby. In the earth. Like, no, I don't want to have to repopulate the fucking planet. Like, rather not. Well, being pregnant as well, imagine. imagine the it's stress. a no for me. No, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I'm not being like Especially a zombie apocalypse. 15, being eaten alive. Wrench, like. <laughs> no, it's a big no. I just, like. Also, imagine you can go to Itsu. Like, everything would be a struggle. Everything. That's a tragedy. You can't just go to Itsu, man. Wow. There's no okay, running so water I'm... anymore. You have to take a. You have to, you have to take a shit in the woods. But, oh um. It's Itsu. Imagine. I mean, there won't even be woods. You'll just be yeah, like just be a in kind of wasteland that we wouldn't be able to like go outside and stuff. Like I, no, absolutely. Also, like there's no way they're saving me. Like they're saving the doctors. They're gonna be saving the like mechanics. They're not gonna yeah. be saving us. <laughs> like, we're burning. <laughs> we're gonna be like have you ever done? Yeah, which the decorative like memory of a decadent past. Like we're we're not being saved. Yeah. Yeah, especially they'll they'll be like a queer. She can't repopulate. Yeah, exactly. Get her out. <laughs> they're Unless they're looking they're looking for <laughs> baby bear. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, someone someone said recently, um, if you ever thought I was a woman, I'm not. That was a game. I like The Handmaid's Tale as a book, but not enough to live it. Um, <laughs> and I thought, wow, yeah, man. Uh, yeah. No, it's okay. So don't worry. Nobody's um, gonna ask us to, to save us and then say, bring one poem. Sorry, bring one poem and one poem, one poem only. Stupid scenario ever. They think you. And I'm That's what makes it fun. That's you what makes must it be fun. saved, and you must bring a poem. <laughs> well, it's your friend at NASA. Your friend is, is bailing you out, man. They're risking their life and their job. Only room for one sheet anymore. of paper. <laughs> Yes, there must be no more weight. Actually, you know, I could make an argument of that the ship would be too heavy. So, actually, bog off. Um, you fat shaming me. And now we're. <laughs> <laughs> when did that come into it, love? You said the when ship did that would be come too into heavy it? If I bought a piece of paper on. <laughs> I'm. No, oh my god, I'm talking about aeronautics requiring very specific measurements, okay? They have to take everything into account. They have yeah, to take everything into account. That's why they made a pen. I've heard it all before. <laughs> ah, that's it. Um, all right, well, on that lovely, charming note, uh, it's the end of our episode. Thank you so much uh, for coming on today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> um, so thank you so much. Uh, again, we air at Sundays four. If you're listening to this, not in real time. Um, so please give us a listen every week. Thank you very much. See you next week.